Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's another weekend edition of the Doghouse here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back into the Doghouse. I'm your host, David Murray, as we discuss the state of Mississippi State sports. And the state for Bulldog basketball is pretty darn good, even if they are, well, out of the state. Playing at Arkansas, 5 o'clock tip-off shortly afterwards on Saturday evening in Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville. And it's a matchup of, let's see, Mississippi State is now up to number 48 in the latest net rankings after this week's win over LSU. Arkansas sitting there at number 23. If you pay attention to these bracketology types, and who doesn't this time of year, uh, Arkansas is uh, not comfortably but still within the field enough to think that they can just take care of their business and count on a bid come March. Mississippi State, not so much. The Bulldogs are still outside the most projections, but not so far outside as to be really concerned at this point. In fact, coming off a four-win streak now, the Bulldogs don't have to win on Saturday night. Now, if they win, it's great. It just about puts them in position to say when the next round of brackets come out, they probably would be in that field of 68, maybe even in the real field of 64, because this would be a serious road win for Chris Jan's team. The thing is, they're coming off uh, three straight victories in the conference play, including a pretty impressive thumping last weekend of Missouri. Uh, Didn't play great for the first half against LSU, but more than good enough in the second half to put the Tigers out of their misery and keep that streak going. And of course, this streak is really four games because it began with a victory over a still top 20 ranked TCU team. So you want the Horned Frogs to win every game they can in their own league to make Mississippi State's victory look better as a result. So here's Christian's team now. They're 10th in the overall SEC standings, but one win out of making a serious jump in that regard. So this is a game with great stakes for them. What's the phrase? Playing with house money? I guess that still applies when you're in somebody else's house. But the fact simply is the Bulldogs have everything to gain on Saturday evening and not a whole lot to lose because the expectations are that Arkansas, which by the way is getting one of their better players back, a freshman who has not participated since mid-December, who is coming off an injury, he probably won't be full speed for this game, but if you get him back in the lineup, that's a plus for the hoggy types. So Mississippi State will certainly not be favored, but then again, you've got a Bulldog team that You know, just a few weeks ago, people were starting to write off at that regard, even though they could look at the schedule and see how front-loaded it was, look at the net rankings and see that Mississippi State was still taken very seriously by the computers in that regard. All they had to do was just start putting some wins together. They've done it. Tolu Smith, SEC Player of the Week this past week, I think, what, 40 points and 20 rebounds and two victories? you got DJ Jeffries, who's now sticking three-pointers and making the typical plays on defense. You've got Shaquille Moore, who has found his niche again. Put the ball in his hands as often as possible and just let the guy make plays on offensive end of the court. And he already makes them on the defensive end, where Mississippi State is strongest, of course. And by the way, Smith and Moore, this, but Jeffries, I'm sorry, this past week, both entered the 1,000-point career club for Mississippi State. Kudos to both those dogs. Tolu, by the way, is 10th in SEC scoring right now, 3rd in rebounding, and 1st in field goal shooting. Now, the latter one surprised me a little bit because I, like many of you, get frustrated when we see some of those layup attempts or short point-blank shots go a little bit off because maybe he doesn't use all his power all the time. Then I look at the shooting and say, wow, the guy is just getting the job done, so maybe I should cut him a little more slack and not be so critical in that regard. Fact being, 
If Smith is playing to his potential in the post, now you've got Jeffries and Moore and others kicking up their game in the perimeter. You just need the supporting cast to do their job on the offensive end to make plays for their teammates to get open and take shots, to pick up the garbage points as they can, and to do what every dog has been doing well. Defend, defend, defend. Mississippi State, number two in SEC defense so far, despite being 13th in scoring, despite being last in three-point shooting, but they got a great turnover margin and assist-to-turnover rate. That's why Chris Jan's team has been able to reel off four straight victories. We'll talk more about basketball, but first, let's get to our sponsor, Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, whatever the season. Everything from the NFL and Sunday's Super Bowl matchup. By the way, best wishes to all four Mississippi State alumni playing in the game. You have the NBA in midseason stride. You've got golf and on into esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost every sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Where the game starts for Mississippi State basketball, as noted, is on the defensive end where they're second best in the conference and lately being played much better than that, just the way they shut down Missouri. Now, LSU is a very bad team. Uh, no guard play to speak of, don't get a whole lot of ball movement out there, so a good defensive showing in that game was not a surprise. Shutting down Missouri the way they did, especially the way the Tigers had been playing, other Tigers I should say, that was just a statement win by Chris Jan's team and just an emotional boost for the program as a whole because it's one thing to pick up a win here or there. And yes, the TCU lineup they faced was shorthanded, starting to get a few players back, which again, you want them to win over in their Big 12 conference. But that Missouri win, just thinking about how good they look, then able to go through the motions. And as I said on SEC Today Radio this past week, not so long ago had Mississippi State played that kind of first half against LSU, they might not even win the game, period. It says something that they're able to play less than their best game, come out there and just take care of business the second half without even really any apparent stress. Chris Jans was not freaking out. I know some of the fans were, but that's what we fans are supposed to do at this point about just not blowing them out after a 10-0 lead to start the game. He kept his calm. He kept the right guys on the court at the right time. They made enough plays. And they just did what they were supposed to do. So now the Bulldogs head to Arkansas with a head of steam. As said, they've got everything to play for and next to nothing to lose in Fayetteville. So great position for them to be in. Then it gets serious. you got Kentucky coming to town next Wednesday night. Now, I'll be the first to say I've been doing this a very long time. When I got started in this business, Kentucky coming to Humphrey Coliseum, oh my gosh, big deal, the big blue, uh, the legends, all the national championships, this, that, and the other. The sports changed. Okay, I'm not the old guy yelling at clouds kind of thing. I recognize it, and in some ways, changing maybe a little for the better. I don't think the Bulldogs are going to play the jersey the way it once would have been the case. I think they just play the players. And yeah, Kentucky's got good players. But did you watch how they played against Arkansas the other night? Did you watch their earlier game this season with South Carolina, a team that State manhandled? Kentucky is a very beatable team. Now, they're playing much better these days, but they're still a beatable team, and they're ranked number 40 in the net, so they're not exactly a super comfortable squad NCAA-wise themselves. they got the strength of schedule. 
All their losses are legitimate, but they're also losing. So Mississippi State's got the opportunity come Wednesday. Just play well at Arkansas, hopefully win, and put yourself in great position. If not, just shrug it off, get ready to defend the home court. It's going to be a whiteout night in the hump, 7.30 central tip-off. If there's anything less than a 95% capacity crowd there, it's going to be a big disappointment. I understand the weather was a factor Wednesday night with LSU, and frankly, so was the matchup. But I think you'll see and hear and feel, for that matter, Humphrey Coliseum rocking like the good old days when the Wildcats come to campus this time because Mississippi State starts a backloaded stretch of games. Now, you've got to win some of these, too, because uh, the last seven games, four of them are on the road. And also, you've got some rematches. You're going to Ole Miss next weekend. You have to go to Missouri. You do host South Carolina, but you're going to Texas A&M. you got Vanderbilt. You need to take advantage of these road, these home games. Kentucky is a winnable game. Get out there, do it, and you have set yourself up for a really, really strong finish to this season. Now, well, of course, we need to throw in a mention of congratulations to Sam Purcell's Lady Bulldogs. Yeah, I was glued to the TV Monday night, as were many of you. Just getting frustrated, you know, put the game away in regulation with free throws. Then surely something's going to crack in the first overtime. Second overtime, you're saying, no way it's going to happen. It happened. The Lady Bulldogs knocked off Tennessee, continued their recent run of success against a program which once upon a time was considered unbeatable by Bulldog teams. There's a lesson in there for all state sports, by the way. And now they took care of their business in really impressive fashion for about three quarters at Florida last night before kicking into cruise control. So good job by Sam Purcell's Lady Bulldogs, who themselves are also trying to work their way into that instantly tournament bubble. You know, wouldn't that be something if not just that both teams may make the postseason? That's happened before. You know, we kind of expect it sometimes. But for the teams to start the conference play the way they did and to finish up the way they have a chance to now, it's just an affirmation that you've got the right people in the right places for Bulldog basketball, both locker rooms. Outside the Coliseum. It's almost time. In fact, uh, if you'll look on Gene's page today, you'll see I posted a story about rules changes for college baseball because a week from now, let's see, we will be through with the first game of the season as Mississippi State hosts Virginia Military Institute. Three o'clock start time. Yes, start times were finally named. Three o'clock on Friday, two o'clock on Saturday, and one o'clock on Sunday, VMI. I have not bothered to look at long-range weather forecast which is what we do in Bulldog country, but I'm going to at least force myself to hold off until Monday before I start checking out what the weather people say may or may not happen all around Polk Dement Stadium next weekend. Hey, it's just that's just another rite of springtime, or more accurately, late wintertime here in Diamond Dog country. Still no times announced for the Louisiana Monroe twin bill in the midweek to follow. Or the Arizona State Series. Those times have not been set either. Now, that makes a little more sense because... Texas A&M is coming for that Saturday 2.30 basketball game in Humphrey Coliseum on the 25th. So I, I have to think that's part of why Mississippi State has not come out and picked the game times exactly. They do know their TV schedule already. That was announced this past week. So just a little curious about why some of the uh, first pitch times have not been named yet. But there are a lot of factors going into this, not least the parking situation with basketballs, men's and women's access through all the construction zones, things like that. Will that stop Diamond Dog fans from turning out? Oh, heck no. Of course you're going to come out. 
you know, again, I was I mentioned that I was talking to Dari Noqua and Mark Childers on SEC Today this past week, and they asked, what does baseball mean to Mississippi State? After what I hope was an appropriately measured pause to say, are you really asking that? I had to come back and say, well, it means everything. It's the start of baseball. Baseball is everything in Bulldog country in the springtime. And for that matter, most 12 months of the year. But baseball is what we live and breathe for. Once the grass starts turning a little bit greener out there, the temperatures at least give us a little tease that the warm weather is coming. And we just start thinking about it's time to go watch the first pitch thrown off the mound of Duty Noble Field. Now, who's going to throw that pitch? Well, obviously, if I'm picking today, I'm going to say Cade Smith, but that has yet to be announced. Mike Nemeth and our crew have been covering the scrimmages, putting some tentative lineups together, but all that still remains to be settled as they get on into this. All I know is the inside word is home runs are flying out of the park again, which is what they did last regular season, though it didn't show up in the record. But now when you expect the pitching to come back stronger, you feel like you've got the makings of a regular rotation. It's still looking for the roles, uh, whether long, short, middle, spot relief, all those things. But that's what the first weeks of the season are set up for. Defensively, with Luke Hancock behind the plate, now you've got some guys back in their regular positions. You start plugging people in. You know, Chris Limonis, uh, Scott Foxhall, Jake Gotro, and Kyle Cheesebro. Congratulations, by the way, to Kyle. Thanks to the NCAA finally doing something right about baseball coaches so he can move up into a officially official full-time coaching job, which he has always held anyway. But yeah, that's the polite fiction baseball has operated under for decades. Just don't get Ron Polk started talking about that unless you've got a lot more time than I have. Well, the point being that Mississippi State has a rebound to do from a disastrous 2022 season. But Mississippi State's done it before. If you recall, College World Series team finalist in 2013, regional finalist in 2014, and then last in the league in 2015. What happened? A worst-to-first run in 16 under John Cohen in his last year's head coach, SEC Championship. And if not for some guy named Bobby Dahlbeck, yeah, there are names which are burned into memory if you're a Diamond Dog. That team is on its way to Omaha. Well, am I saying it's going to be another worst-to-first this year? Probably not. The SEC West, okay, when you say the SEC West is loaded, you might as well say the SEC West plays baseball. But this year, it do look loaded. I think, though, the fact that Mississippi State is not ranked in most, if any, of the serious baseball polls and predicted not to finish higher than six or so in the Western Division, I don't want to say the Bulldogs need motivation. You should never need motivation when you pull on the maroon and white uniform and play on this field in front of these fans. But things like that can factor in a little bit of an extra edge sort of way. More so the players we had a chance to talk to a week or so ago when media day on campus. Yeah, they will say that uh, they can't really ignore 2022, especially in the context of coming off 2021 and the ultimate glory of the national championship, the last pre-NIL national championship, by the way, a point I will never get tired of stressing and that Mississippi State baseball won the last true amateur title in NCAA sports. Enough on that particular uh, hobby horse. So 
the thought of that collapse last year reminds them that, A, you can't take anything for granted even here, but B, they know they were a better team than they were last year. The point is, it just got to a situation where, as the season ground on, no matter what the lead, no matter what the situation, no matter what the matchup, you just inherently thought something was going to go wrong. And as a result, most often something did go wrong. State not only did not defend its title, it was unable to even make postseason of any sort. I do not think that is any sort of possibility this year. The Bulldogs are going to battle their way back into Hoover. I feel confident of that. They certainly will battle their way back into NCAA tournament status. From there, it's just going to depend how the pitching comes together. Does the offense do more than just hit solo home runs? Can they manufacture in RBI situations? Does the defense put things together to keep that extra run or two from the opponent's and that was so much the key last year, remember, too. State was a good defensive team, not not great, good enough. But things just tended to happen at the worst possible times to either ignite or continue rallies for the other team that erased those leads. It gets back to what I said. When you start getting used to bad things happening, bad things always start to happen. So that's going to be, to me, the thing to watch early in the season. How they handle the the natural setbacks, the early tests, the stumbles, the fumbles, as you try to put a team together. And this is going to be a very interesting team put together because last year, Coach Chris Lamonis admitted that he relied probably too much on many of his veterans instead of starting over from almost scratch coming off a national championship. Emotionally, you can understand why he did that way. Practically, it was time to start fresh. We can see that easily in retrospect. At the time, I'm not going to hold it against him at all. But now you've got the mix of transfers coming in. You've got uh, some redshirted guys, some true freshmen, junior college guys. You're not really obligated and tied down to any particular players at any particular positions. You can use anyone who's ready and willing to get out there and be the contributor immediately. So I think the competition is on, not just for the Bulldogs to beat other people, the competition is going to be fiercest among this roster itself for the guys who want to be in that 27 that has to be submitted by this week to the NCC of who will be your regular roster. There's a 28. Sometimes I lose count by the rules changes. That was not in my story, by the way. And oh, to me, the two most interesting parts about that story was that, uh, let's see, now they will have access to replay on catcher's interference which is something that they should have always been able to review, but they never do. The other thing being, keep your celebration props in the dugout. Uh, yeah, y'all can guess which teams I'm talking about. Uh, some like to wear fur coats. Some like to swing sledgehammers, this, that, and the other. Well, after some incidents or near incidents during regional play last season, the NCAA jumped in and said, nope, keep it in the dugout. Now that's officially in the rule book for all of 2023-24 seasons. Read the story. Nothing really fun this time, like it was, uh, you know, they do these rules changes in two-year cycles. The last time they changed it, there was a kind of entertaining one about uh, where you could, how to deal with a ball hitting a bird or something like that. So nothing bizarre in this year's changes, but some interesting tweaks and some things that I look at and go, really, is that an issue? Hey, the bigger deal is with all these changes, Will the SEC umpiring crew really enforce them? I'd settle for them just doing their darn job and not worry about the other stuff. But, hey, that's just me. 
paranoia runs deep when you're dealing with SEC umpiring, especially here in Mississippi State country. All right, baseball next weekend, VMI, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock. A pair of midweek games with ULM. Times have not been set for that, though. Being um, midweek games, I think they're leaving some flexibility there, of course, for weather consideration as well in case they need to move to a doubleheader. Oh, by the way, the other rule change, speaking of doubleheaders, and it's because now if the conference rules allow it and if the two teams agree before the game, if a game goes extra innings, which will be a 10th inning for a regular game or an 8th inning for a 7-inning doubleheader game, a runner will be placed on second base to start the inning just like the overtime softball rules. Purist will be aghast. I have mixed feelings on it because, I mean, how many late nights have I sat there waiting to write my game story during 10th, 11th, 12th innings? And yes, I was in Hoover for that 17-inning a 99-hour marathon where at some point we're just yelling, can't we put a runner out there? Just assume something. Well, now you have the choice, but I do advise checking the rules because they don't apply automatically or unanimously across college baseball. So keep an eye on some of these. It'll be something for Jim Ellis and Ron Polk to talk about on the broadcast and try to explain to you. But uh, I'm sure I'll be getting questions during the game why not this? And then I'll be calling up that good old NCAA rule book. Just like come May, we're always calling up that good old SEC weather policy on makeups or no makeups. <sighs> you forget how much you miss all this frustrating, annoying, irritating stuff in baseball. Because, as the short guy used to say, that's baseball. Speaking of the Southeastern Conference, the news of the week. Not from the SEC per se, but directly impacting this conference, as we all expected. Texas and Oklahoma officially come aboard July 1, 2024. Now, a week or so ago, there was an article um, appearing on ESPN and other sites, and I thought at the time they were jumping the gun. The articles were assuming that no, that cannot happen until 2025 as originally planned. I couldn't, I just couldn't buy it. I could not envision Texas and Oklahoma, A, staying out of the SEC when the league's new TV contract goes into effect starting with the 24-25 academic year, obviously the 24 football season. And second, that's also the year that the new expanded 12-team college football playoff will start going into effect as well. I just didn't see those teams wanting to wait. I also did not see the Big 12 really trying to keep them there a year longer than they wanted to be because they're losing their two biggest properties, yes. But they're also adding four new programs. They've just signed a new media rights deal, so I think the Big 12 wanted to get this clean and done as quickly as possible and prevent the lingering effect of, hey, here's two teams that are part of us but aren't really part of us. So... Now it's all going to get done. Everybody stays put for 2023, but starting in 2024, we're going to have to learn the Texas and Oklahoma fight songs and the appropriate times to boo the Longhorns and Sooners uh, when they're on the football field. All right, what does that mean for Mississippi State beside the fact that the schedule just got exponentially tougher overall with these additions? Well, it means that the delay in the SEC announcing its future football scheduling rotations last fall. When that happened, that was another sign that any of us who've studied this, and boy, have I studied this way too much for my own case, could recognize that A, wanted to wait until the playoff thing was settled, 
it is now. The Rose Bowl came off their high horse, and the playoff will now be a full 12 teams incorporating current bowl sites without tie-ins to conferences. The other deal being, as said, the SEC's new TV contract. But the SEC was going to hold off setting that rotation until they knew exactly when the two new members would come aboard. And as long as there was a chance it would wait until 2025, then there was every likelihood. Because the current rotation, remember, is set to run through the 2025 season. That's the rotation began back in 2014. Now it ends as of this year. 2023 is the last year, I believe, that you will see not just the current eight-game schedule, but the current 6-1-1 rotation system. Starting in 2024, it's either going to be a 1-7 for an eight-game conference slate, which is what I would prefer, but, okay, call me Pearl State if you want to. I'm a pretty darn realist about this stuff, and I've talked to too many administrators and coaches over the years. I know you fans want to pay for more games, or say you will, whether you actually will write the checks for it or not. That's another story to be seen as time plays out, but, you know, that's how it's going to be. More likely, it will be indeed a nine-game schedule. I had a chance to talk to an SEC official in Tampa before the bowl game, and he said there's still kind of a 50-50 split among the conference about going that way because, as John Cohen, before he left Mississippi State, boo if you want to, but at least he was objective on these things, he often reminded Commissioner Greg Sankey, well, if you go to nine games, that's nine more losses that the league absorbs in its overall strength of schedule in RPI and college football playoff ranking calculations. Not something to take too lightly, even an expanded playoff, because as I also have told people, well, yeah, it's one thing to get into the playoff, but the teams you're talking about with the best chances of being playoff teams, they don't want to just be in the playoff. They want to be in the top four and get one of those buys. How does it behoove them to play a tougher schedule and risk that buy, in fact, risk even being able to host a campus game in the playoffs just for the sake of being a 9, 10, 11, 12 seed down there by playing a tougher game? Well, that's something that's going to be thought about, and that may be what keeps some schools from voting from not just expanding the schedule. I, okay, I think the schedule will expand. But that brings in the simmering issue of the Power 5 mandate game, which began with 2016. Of course, Mississippi State, when that was put on, that meant automatically you were losing another non-conference gate. Well, if you keep the FIFA and you make a nine-game conference schedule, now you're down to two non-conference wins that you can schedule. Yeah, I said it wins. That's assuming a lot because state has proven itself capable of losing those games, as we've seen in the past, but schedule wisely, then you get two wins of the book. But it's much better to be able to schedule three because bowl eligibility still matters at Mississippi State. I know, I know. I see the post. I hear the comments out there that bowls don't matter, and what does it matter if we go to another Liberty Bowl or if we go to another Gator Bowl? Well, it matters because financially Mississippi State counts on that money A, to help pay off the expansion of Scott Field and Davis Wade Stadium, which began in 2014. And that's a 20-year bond lease, by the way. So that's a lot of money state has booked in coming years to pay that one off. But B, for the promotional and marketing opportunities that bowls provide. Think of it. When you can give those select alumni, when you can give corporate sponsors and boosters an extra game to go to, particularly if it's a Florida game, as was the case with Tampa this past year, 
Well, it just increases the revenues for the athletic department and for the university as a whole. Such things still matter to Mississippi State. They may not matter to quite a few fans now. I get it. Bulls aren't what they used to be. I'm not saying that you're a bad fan if you don't think bulls matter. I'm just trying to point out that they may not matter to you individually. They matter to Mississippi State a great deal collectively. And I have the words of multiple administrations on that one, not just one or two who happen to lean particular ways. I've also had disagreements with the administrations about what bulls they like and why they think they matter. But, of course, they win all those arguments. But you get the idea. Bulls still matter. So Mississippi State very much wants that P5 mandate game done away if you're going to expand to nine games as we expect to happen. Will it happen? Good question. The SEC is asking ESPN slash Disney slash ABC for more money on top of the already about to begin $300 million per year, 10-year contract, that's a $3 billion with a B, that starts with the 2024 season. And that's because if you're going to play a ninth game, i.e. nine more conference games, they want more money than ESPN was going to be paying for nine more non-conference games. Oh, by the way, it's something I have to keep reminding myself, too. There are four teams to which this P5 mandate deal doesn't even matter. Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, and Georgia already play a Power 5 team every year as their end-of-season arch rivalry. So they've got that one knocked out, whereas Mississippi State, well, this year brings Arkansas, I'm sorry, Arizona to campus to complete that round. But what happens to the home-and-home home with Arizona State or then Texas Tech and Minnesota and others that Mississippi State has booked on through, I think, the 2031 season? What happens to those games if they're not played? Well, the state would have to fill them, of course, but I think they'd rather do that than have to play another tough game and put them at more risk of not making bowl eligibility, except here, see how how convoluted this can get. I also have a feeling that in the not-too-distant future, the bowl games will become basically contracts with conferences, not like they are right now already where each school – each conference provides one member. I'm talking about the Vols almost becoming de facto arms of the conference, which means that the NCAA's rule of a six-win eligibility mark out of a 12-win season, with certain APR exceptions, no longer applies. Then the SEC can say, well, we've got 11 bowl links, and if we need to put a five, even a four-win team in a bowl, we can do that. You see how all that I'm saying could be mooted by ongoing developments so are other conference expansions that's bound to happen. Of course, the Big 12 is adding four more teams, but will they stop there once they get to, yes, 12? They haven't been 12 in forever. They're fixed to be 12, but the SEC is going to be 16. The Big 10 will soon be 16. What's the Pac-12 going to do? The ACC is sitting there going, why did we sign this monstrous length TV contract that's leaving us in the dust compared to the leagues? So much going on off the field for college football. I enjoy keeping up with it, but sometimes keeping it all straight is a little numbing. Well, we won't have too much longer to worry about what the SEC is going to do because their next round of meetings is in March. That's when we would expect to hear news on A, what the new rotations will be, and if it is indeed a 3-6, the reports are, I say reports, speculation is more like it, that Mississippi State will keep Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl as a permanent opponent, and the other two permanents would be Texas A&M and Kentucky. And Kentucky makes some sense because they've been permanent already since, what, 1992 or thereabouts? 
A&M, eh, not so much because automatically you got to think A&M is going to have Texas as one of their permanents as well, and who's their third going to be? Well, that's the price of having to be up 16 teams with three permanents for everybody. If Especially think about programs that don't have a true in-conference rival, i.e. LSU. Yeah, I know Arkansas claims they're their rival. <laughs> LSU laughs at that idea. So I would say Arkansas and Missouri would be much more natural, but that's just me talking. Vanderbilt, who's their natural rival? Tennessee has bigger fish to fry. They want to keep their game with Alabama. So this won't be neat and clean, but I'll say this. The pod system, at least for now, is entirely dead. If they go to a 3-6, and six, which is what we expect, it's not going to be so much as who does state draw permanently. It's going to be... Does the Power 5 mandate game stay? I think State definitely does not want that to happen. But the networks are going to look at those games and say, yeah, we'll pay you more, but will they pay enough both for the nine more conference games and then all these Power 5 mandate games, and especially when the SEC is not the home team in those games? And by the way, that's one other fact for a Mississippi State fans to consider. The Power 5 mandate game is a home-and-home. That's automatic. But if you get rid of the Power 5 game, give yourself three non-conference games on top of your nine league games, then you've got a much, much, much better chance of those being home games. And over the course of the decade, that could add up to two, three, even four more home games on Scott Field than there would otherwise be. Would they be as attractive games? Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, face it, Arizona State, if they bring the team to start all that they had in recent years, that's not a particularly attractive game. Would you consider Minnesota to be a really attractive game at this point? Compare that to playing a regional team with a little more zest in it as far as recruiting rivalries, things like that. It's all a great big guessing game, and ultimately I may be wasting all my breath on this because so much keeps changing so fast in college football. But the biggest change is still to come on March We'll find out at the next round of SEC meetings, will it be a 3-6, will a P-5 stay, or will they punt it further down to the June conference meetings in Destin? Well, it's what we keep watching, and we're watching it here from the safety of the doghouse on this weekend edition, where we've covered quite a bit of ground, and there'll be more to cover in coming weeks. Bulldog baseball starting a week from today. We'll be able to wrap up what the Bulldog basketball team did in Arkansas this weekend, getting in ready for the Kentucky game, how that turns out, and what their NCAA outlook looks like. We'll get back to midweek podcasting not too far from now. But at this point, this is your weekend edition of the Doghouse, brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm your host, David Murray. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.